somebody uh, turns to the Lord and God, uh, for whatever reason, doesn't yet supernaturally um, take away the, the, the same-sex attraction or the desire as a church and your stance, you've told me you're, you're really calling those people you're ministering to to, to a life of celibacy. And, uh, and I'd like you to just kind of share some of that with, uh, with the church. Cool. Yeah, um, you know, like I said, we have to have the right expectations for people. And that's that. oh, there we go. That helps. And part of those expectations are that this struggle may last for a lifetime. Some, maybe the Lord, uh, you know, does some immediate work, and that, that's awesome. We celebrate that. Um, but we have to make sure that we have realistic expectations that doesn't put a specific timeline on people. I think that when I first came to know the Lord and I had some great community and I walked away from this, my community kind of, after like six months, quit talking about it. Uh, and it was like, oh, well, Brady should be dating girls by now because he should be fixed by now. And uh, that just isn't the way that, the way that it works. And so, um, you know, if someone maybe for a lifetime isn't in a place to be, to be married to a woman, then yes, the, then we expect celibacy for any single person. Any person who's not married to someone of the opposite sex, we expect celibacy. And so, but that can be a tough cross barrier. It can be lonely, it can be difficult. And that's where we as a church need to live in community and love and support each other well. And um, for all single people, uh, I, I feel like it's, it's difficult for all single people to get into their late 20s and 30s. Um, and everyone else has their families and doing their own things. And uh, we just, as a church, in general, need to do a better job of loving people through that pain and difficulty. And, you know, and, but I also don't want to undermine what God's grace can do. It's like, I know people who, uh, um, now, uh, you know, are, are married to someone of the opposite sex and have a very healthy marriage. Sometimes it's an amazing marriage because, um, uh, it's not built on just fulfilling these insatiable sexual desires that's all really about them. And so it's like I'm completely open to dating a, a, a woman. And um, really what I've seen in some of those relationships and great marriages is that uh, this attraction builds on, um, instead of on these superficial just uh, things that you're trying to use to feed your own soul, but you become attracted to your spouse because of the way that they love and serve the Lord, because of the way that they die to themselves to love you. And that's what attraction should be built on, not just this insatiable sexual desire. Uh, you know, we uh, um, kind of live in a culture where we make, uh, for, for most guys anyway, even Christian guys, actually probably especially Christian guys, I hear it in their conversations all the time, their wedding night is supposed to be like the crowning moment of their life. And it's like, that just should not be the case. And so many, it usually leads to disappointment and frustration. And so many times, uh, sexual relationship within the first year of marriage can be extremely disappointing and frustrating for married couples because they expect it to be grand and glorious and to fulfill these years of pent-up desire that most of it's sinful and that's not the way the marriage is supposed to function. And so I think that we don't have to close the door to people with, who struggle with same-sex attraction and leave that life to be completely, to be married. We need to build an ethic of marriage and sexuality that's based uh, on so much more than just uh, fulfilling these insatiable, strong sexual urges that are usually coming from a place of selfishness and trying to uh, 
fulfill ourselves with something that sexuality isn't meant for. And so, so for many people, for at least a long period of time, celibacy is the best option. There's so many layers to work through, so many layers of emotional healing and dysfunction and heart-level issues to, to work through uh, that I believe people need to work through before they can be in a healthy relationship um, and lead a marriage well. Um, but I don't want to close the door that like, God can do that and he can build um, marriage based on the gospel and loving each other and dying to each other, not just based on what our culture usually builds it on, which is on sex. Thanks. Why don't you uh, uh, start with some of the questions that came cool. in. And also, um, Pastor Bo has the mic. If, you, if you're comfortable and want to uh, ask a question from the audience, he'll run the mic to you as well. Yep. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of questions. Some of them are kind of the same, so I'll kind of just combine them. I've already read through a lot of them that have come in. This one says, uh, I hear this all the time. Um, how do you respond to people who say, I'm born this way? Uh, and there's kind of a couple of different answers I give to that. Uh, one is that have compassion for the fact that that's what it feels like to them. Like, uh, Sometimes when I struggle, it's still to this day with everything the Holy Spirit's done in my life, it still feels that way. And it's just, when, when you're living in it, especially when you don't know the Lord and you don't have the Holy Spirit showing you uh, the, the sin in your life and revealing things in your life, like it feels like you're born that way. So just have compassion over the fact that it feels that way. And that's that person's experience, that they truly believe that. Because... They didn't choose to have same-sex attraction. And we need to be careful about how we use the word choice. Because now it's like, as a follower of Christ, had his Holy Spirit in me, I can choose the way I'm going to live my life. But I didn't choose as a young boy to develop same-sex attraction. That just started to develop. And so we have to be very careful about the way that we use the word choice. And so I, I truly... Uh, believe that we're not born with same-sex attraction because I, I've seen in my life and so many other guys' lives on how... Uh, same-sex attraction is developed from our hearts twisting things, just like unholy sexual attraction in heterosexual guys. I can see now as a four, five, six-year-old boy on how there are times when I didn't feel loved and I didn't feel valued. And sometimes that was perception. Sometimes it was the enemy lying to me, telling me that I wasn't loved and I wasn't valued. And my heart started to seek things from people. The, the sexual attraction started when I hit puberty, but I can see the emotional desires developing from a young boy, from my heart, twisting things, wanting to feel valued by men especially. And, and so, you know, Jeremiah 17.9 says that our hearts are deceitful above all things. It's like I can see from a young, young age that my heart was deceiving me and twisting things and, and developing uh, this desire for, to have this, to be loved by men, uh, to be fulfilled in other ways that God didn't intend. And so I've seen it in my own life, and I've seen it in so many, every guy I sit down with, uh, they're like, oh yeah, I'm born this way. And then I start talking to them, and I see the brokenness behind it and the idols that they're trying to fulfill uh, by pursuing it. And so I 100% absolutely do not believe that we're born with same-sex attraction. But we have to have compassion and understanding that for the person who has it, um, th that's just how it feels, and that's their experience. And uh, if they're not a believer, they, they're probably not going to see anything else because they don't have the Holy Spirit showing them those things in their life. Oh, 
Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Awkward. <laughs> uh, the, the only thing, the only thing maybe I would just add to the um, to the discussion is that we are uh, born with a tendency. Whoa. Nice. I would, the only thing I would add to the conversation is that is that we would be born with a tendency towards sin, um, in just mm -hmm. in, in all in in any area of sin that you know we're, um, and so so if you if you go at it from that vantage point and then you take in the environment someone's growing mm -hmm. up in, we're born with a tendency towards sin and all those types of things, and in, maybe in, even in our um, culture of church and, and some of our theology some of the generational things that go on um, would be would be another perspective yeah. you know uh, I think we're going to share this but there we go uh, uh, I always pre preface that argument with the fact that I truly don't believe that we're born with same-sex attraction we're not born gay but uh, it's not a hill I'm going to die on especially with non-believers who don't have the Holy Spirit in their life and the fact that we're all born into sin and we all expected to die to ourselves on a daily basis no matter what desires we have just like the heterosexual guy has desires for all kinds of people expected to die to ourselves and deny ourselves oh sorry cool cool all right and so we all need to die to ourselves i, I believe that there's there's many ministries and people who talk about this who have, who have walked away from homosexuality not very many in the midwest but have kind of uh just quit even talking about that and kind of resign to the fact that, oh yeah, like it just feels like we're born that way, so we're not even going to talk about anything else. But I think it's important to acknowledge that those desires come from our hearts twisting things and believing lies about ourselves and about God, because when we acknowledge that, then we can find healing. It's like there's, there's, there's lots of areas of my life where I found healing because I was able to acknowledge that, man, like these desires are coming from my heart twisting things. And when I see a specific guy that I'm maybe somewhat attracted to, I can know it's like my heart is seeking something from that person that my heart should not be seeking. And I need to repent of that. And I need to go to the Lord and figure out what lie am I believing and apply scripture to that area of my life. And so, so we, we don't want to judge people because of their attractions. We don't want to put them on this this timeline of you should be healed by this amount of time. But it's also, if we're going to help them, we need to acknowledge that these issues are caused by your heart twisting things. And we want our hearts to become holy and pure in the way that God intended. And that means digging into some of those areas. And sometimes it's hard and it's deep, but it's a difficult balance between accepting them where they are and acknowledging you didn't choose that attraction and uh, there's no timeline of making it go away, but it does reveal what our heart is seeking uh, instead of the Lord and where the Lord in needs to intervene there. Uh, have anything else to that? Otherwise, I can go on to uh, something else. Um, I've had, there's been several questions uh, that were just along the basis of how do I reach out to someone who's, who's gay or homosexual? Um, uh, um, and so uh, I'll just kind of combine that and try to answer that all together. Hopefully you got some, some, some answer to that in my talk. Um, I think the first step to reaching out to someone is understanding, is this person a believer or not a believer? If they're not a believer, we can't expect them to live a biblical life. We can't expect them to be convicted of that. We can't expect them to walk away from it. When it takes 
like in my life, I can't imagine walking away from that if I didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit in me and if I wasn't fighting to love Jesus and fighting for holiness in my life. Like, that's not something that I could have done, and we can't expect for people to do that when they don't have the, the Holy Spirit in them. And so I think that the first uh, thing is distinguishing, is this person truly a believer? And only God truly knows their heart, but we can, we can kind of feel that out. And if they're a non-believer, then it's just an evangelistic opportunity. And like I said earlier, it's, we need to be careful not to define them by their one area of life and be like, well, you need Jesus so you'll not be gay anymore, or you need Jesus because this area of your life is a sin. It is, but they have a hundred other areas of your life that they need Jesus for, not just this one area. And sometimes that's, sometimes it's other thing, areas of their life where they see their need for Jesus first and surrender to him. And this issue is so much about identity that uh, um, it feels like it's just, it's, it would be impossible to change. And it just seems incomprehensible that you would try. So sometimes people give their lives to Christ, but over time, they're, as they're growing in, in community, we want their identity in Christ to kind of start to outweigh their identity and their sexuality. Because previously, their identity and their sexuality was everything to them. And over time, their identity in Christ just becomes more important, starts to outweigh it, and their identity and their sexuality just becomes less and less important. And they start to maybe acknowledge that, oh, wow, uh, like maybe there is some brokenness behind my sexuality, and maybe there are some unhealthy things, and maybe the Lord does want something different that usually comes after they become a believer and after they've gained some maturity. And so the first step is helping them see their need for Jesus in just every area of their life, not just this one issue. And maybe just to add to that, too, um, uh, and I, I wrote it. I don't know if you had a chance to read the, the latest newsletter for our church, but I talked about the art of curiosity. And the thing is, is this would be one area. Maybe there's, a, there's other areas, but this would be one area that um, I don't know a lot about from experience. And so it, for me to sit down with somebody who um, is struggling with same-sex attraction, um, for me to just ask them their story and to be real curious about their life and not from a place of judgment. And you know when someone's asking a question and that question is, it has an agenda behind it, right? You know, you're asking questions, but you're trying to get someplace with them. Um, curiosity is just that, is where you're, you really are genuinely curious about their life and their story. And that question is asked, and from their answer, maybe it poses another question. And it's called a conversation. You ever had a great conversation with somebody? <laughs> you know, I don't know if how you felt like the times we've had coffee. And I don't know if you felt like I was drilling you or if you felt I was curious. But, uh, right? Does that make sense? Definitely. Yeah, and so it's it just... The place we start in any relationship is listening, learning, and having compassion. Don't just like try to speak a bunch of truth. Like listen to their story, get to know them, look for what I call windows to their soul. Like areas where eventually they share where it's like, oh wow, I see that they, their life has been impacted by this particular scenario or something. Like listen and learn and you've been through so much pain and hurting and this is complicated. And like I, I uh, said, sometimes we don't understand everything we're asking of people when we, ask, when we want them to repent of this. And so get to know them well enough that you know it's like, wow, like their main support in their life comes from the LGBT community. Uh, and so if they walk away from that, like there's going to be this huge void in their life. That's going to be difficult and painful. Get to know the um, difficulties in their life. It's like, you know, probably 20 years ago, uh, um, like people would have faced 
way more rejection in their life from their family, friends, different people by coming out of the closet as gay. Like that is just the reality. Um, today, I see people facing way more rejection uh, from repenting from this. They face rejection from their family because they, they say that they're gonna quit living the gay life. And uh, that's just almost unfathomable where our culture's gone with that. And that's worth it for the sake of Christ. Uh, sometimes we're rejected for the sake of Christ. Uh, but just understand what it's going to cost people. Get to know them, hear their hurts and pain, and listen, and love them well. And that's the first way to start, best place to start any relationship where you're trying to reach out to someone. Um, how do you recommend uh, a church responding to a homosexual couple who starts attending church and believe they can be Christian and live in their relationship? Um, you know, and that, that's such a difficult question, and I think that we can't have, like, fast and hard rules that, like, after this amount of time, you need to quit this. It's like, that's where this messiness comes in, of where you need Christians interceding in people's, these people's lives, getting to know them, uh, saying, like, do these, have they truly surrendered their lives to the Lord? Do they really know the Lord? Um, and walking them through this process, and, you know, we can't say that, uh, okay, after six months, they should have repented. After a year, we have to get messy in their lives, and that's where church leadership gives, gets involved and has these conversations on, are these people moving forward with Christ and grace? Uh, are they growing? Are they, are they walking closer to the Lord? Are we helping them through that process or helping them become more mature? And uh, that that's, has to be led by the Spirit, and that's a lot more difficult than saying, okay, if you're going to be part of this church, you have to repent of that right now. There's probably needs to be policies. Maybe you can't join and be a member of the church. You can't be in leadership positions, and that's something that every church leadership needs to work through. But as far as um, how to respond to them, you need, they need to know that you love them no matter what. And hopefully, as you walk them through this difficult process, and you start maybe pushing into this area of their life and pushing into helping them see that God has something different for them and calling out something better for them, they're, they're still drawn in by the love that you have for them. And it's not that they don't get the feeling that, oh, well, you have to do this to be accepted here. It's like, no, you are fully and loved and accepted, and we want the best for you. And we want to engage with this area of your life, and we want to start to help you to see maybe some brokenness um, that, that's, that's behind the surface. And sometimes it's, it's not convincing them that that's a sin. Sometimes it's engaging their life enough that surf, that, that not surface level, but deep issues in their life are dealt with. Because this is just, living it, it out in a relationship is just a symptom of heart level issues. And so if we can start to dig into issues below the surface at the heart level on why they feel like they need to be validated and loved by this person, why they're drawn to these specific people, um, uh, sometimes we can address the heart level and then the symptoms of being in a relationship just naturally work themselves out because we're addressing something so much deeper than just the relationship. I think your, your statement, are, are they a Christian, are they saved, is a, is a good starting place you know, because you're going to respond to somebody who knows the Lord and knows the truth but is struggling with sin and knows they're in sin differently than somebody who who isn't a christian and believes this is this is okay um and so i, I think that that's a good as far as church leadership as far as how we are as a body of christ you're going to just address those two things differently um 
But then, you know, here's the other thing in this whole topic is unconditional love. The, the moment we put a condition on, um, on love, then it's not the type of love that Jesus has for, for you or for me or that we're called to for each other. And so here's the question. What if they never change? What if, what if they're in our community and they never change? Well, I mean, it's just like any of us with some of the things that we've uh, never changed in, right? Um, and so it's a great conversation. I don't know that you solve it right now, but how would Jesus want us to respond to a person who never changes? That's a, that would be, I mean, maybe you even want to respond to that as well, because there will be people that we're called to love that will always be that way. Yeah, and God calls us to unconditionally love people, and that's, um, uh, uh, I, I think that part of that is, in church and in ministry and in Christian life is giving up control. Um, uh, and one, one specific area where I have to walk through that with people all the time is parents. I deal with a lot of parents who kid, whose kids are gay and uh, coming out of the closet uh, in a relationship. And it's like, you know, one day I got together with uh, 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 some parents, um, central Nebraska, and this kind of a farming, ranching, gun-toting guy. And his, his son, who's a a junior at UNL had come out of the closet and was in a relationship. And the dad was like, this is about November. And dad was like, I want this fixed by Christmas. And uh, <laughs> like, it doesn't really work that way. And, uh, um, and so uh, I tried to talk them through it. And, uh, and it turned, I, I, as I was talking them through this, this story kind of covers a multitude of areas. So as I'm talking through this, I'm like, well, this, your son has Christian community, UNL, some Christian support, he's involved in any campus ministries, going to church. No, he's not really, cons- not really into that type of thing. Well, what about in high school, like youth group and youth pastors and Christian community and interest in the Lord? Nope, he's never really been interested in spiritual things. So I had to tell them that your problem isn't that your son is gay. Your problem is that your son doesn't know Christ. And so he, like trying to solve this one issue in his life uh, the, will do no good. It will do nothing for his soul for, to try to get him to not be gay anymore. That does not do anything to give him salvation. But also what it revealed in their life, in so many parents' lives that deal with this, with, is that it's not about wanting their child to absolutely love the Lord in every area of their life. It's about the image that it reflects on them. And so that, that's been revealed in so many parents' lives, especially small-town Nebraska. It's like, you know, you weren't concerned about your child's spiritual life until all of a sudden they're gay. Now you're so concerned about what your entire church and everyone you know will think of you. And now you're all of a sudden concerned with your child's spiritual condition because of how it will reflect on you because of this one sin issue. Like, that's been a hard—usually in those calls uh, I get from parents, and I sit down with parents, they want me to fix their child. And sometimes I'm able to get together with their child and share their story, sometimes not. But my ministry almost always ends up being to the parents on what does it look like to love your child unconditionally, even if they never change? What does it look like to love your uh, child's partner? And there's a couple um, questions in here from the perspective of parents, so hopefully this kind of helps answer those. But what does it look like to love your child and maybe— their partner unconditionally, even if they never change. It's like I have uh, one um, mom that uh, I've been working with now. We're really good friends now. For I was in college, so it's been seven, eight years that uh, she first contacted me, and her her son had come out of the closet, and 
she was not loving him well, and it was, it was really, really difficult, and she just wanted nothing to do with him. Now she's learned to love him unconditionally and his boyfriend, and it's hard, and she still prays for them every day. She wants something so much better for them, but she's had to give control over to the Lord, say, I cannot control his life. I need to show him the gospel. I need to love them well and uh, pray for them fervently and trust their lives to the Lord. And she has grown so much through this. Just her relationship with God and has, has grown exponentially. And she wanted me to get involved to fix her son, but my ministry was to her because it revealed so many things about in her life, image and control. And, um, and I think that that goes towards uh, those of us who have, friends and so many people, sometimes it's giving up control and saying, I'm going to be Jesus in this person's life and love them unconditionally and leave the results up to God, even if it takes a lifetime. Maybe it's their deathbed in which they repent, and maybe they never do, and that's tragic, but that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to love them unconditionally, and uh, even if repentance never never happens and that's hard and sometimes that reveals things in our life that we need to work on like trust of the lord and so uh but that, that's something that we all need to reflect on and work on and figure out how am i loving people unconditionally and am i giving people an unrealistic time frame on which i re expect repentance and uh not just for this issue but any issue uh Anything else? Um, I have more here. Um, uh, so one, one thing I love about Q&A time is it really reveals on how this is not just an issue for people out there. This is an issue for people in here. The people in here uh, are affected by and um, are just have to deal with. And so this person who texted in, it's kind of a long text, so I'm kind of kind of summarize, but uh, this guy who was here this morning, I don't know if he's still here, is in a relationship dating a woman who was previously in a sexual relationship, or in a lesbian relationship with another woman, and uh, um, he said that he's really uncomfortable with the fact that he's still friends with this, with her ex, uh, she's friends with her ex-girlfriend, and is that okay? And, um, you know, I, that's a difficult situation. Without sitting down with these people and, and talking through this, I, I can't give any black and white answer. I'd say it's, it's probably it would be difficult for her to remain friends with this, uh, um, with, with her ex-girlfriend. And so that, that's something that has to be handled in, by an individual basis, being on, based on knowing these people and being able to invest in their lives and get to know them and maybe get pastoral staff involved in that. But um, so... I, I can't just give a black and white answer, yes or no. That's something that would take a lot of wisdom from people and church leadership. And hopefully she has uh, healthy Christians walking her through this transition in her life and helping figure out, is this a healthy friendship to maintain as I'm now in this heterosexual relationship? Like, that's a lot of uh, stuff to bear and to work through in this relationship. Um, and so if, the, if you're still here... Um, just to, I, I just encourage you, seek counsel from Jonathan and from other church leadership on how do I walk forward in this relationship with this woman who this is her past and it's messy and it's difficult. How do I walk forward in grace and love and lead this in a, a Christ-honoring way? So I'd encourage you to do that, but I hope that 
just this one question shows that this is not something in the world out there. This is people right here in this church who are affected by this. Um, uh, so this question, can you speak to the current gender identity discussion? And I, and I think there's a couple other questions along those same lines with gender identity and um, you know, people who have had sex reassignment surgeries and, and those things. Um, and I feel like uh, um, transgenderism is a little bit of a different uh, topic. Um, when we talk about L uh, LBGT, uh, to, to the T, the transsexual is very, very different. The you know, gay, lesbian, bisexual, that's who you're attracted to, whereas the transgender is who you feel you are. And I feel like it's, it's, a very, it's all lumped together by our, our society, but it's very, very different. And so my experiences might not completely apply um, uh, to, uh, to dealing with those situations. But I, I can say this, like, we serve a God who transforms people, who uh, I, I've seen in transgender situations. It's, it seems like a whole other level of brokenness. But I've seen God renew and restore people's hearts. One story with that, uh, this was about four years ago, I spoke at, uh, uh, in Denver at the University of Colorado at their Denver campus, at this campus ministry. And I seen this girl back there who obviously looked, she looked like really, really angry during my entire talk. And I was trying to like pray for her as I was talking. And she looked like she probably had some gender issues. She looked very, very masculine. And she came to me afterwards, and of course she was the first person to come talk to me, and just called me every name in the book, and uh, um, was just very belligerent, and uh, said I was so hateful, and I just tried to love her well, and talk to her, and um, she told me that she was Jessica, but she now lives as a man who's going by Jess, uh, and um, she wanted to get together the next day, and so uh, I, I, she texted me, I was kind of hesitant. It's like, do I need some armored protection here or how's this gonna go? But we got together on campus and she sat down and just started pouring out her heart and crying about her past of growing up in a church and struggling with sexual identity and lesbianism and uh, then transgenderism. And she'd been raped by a man in her church who was trying to make her straight. Like just had a horrible, horrible past. And uh, she said that, uh, she went home the previous night after my talk and dug out this Bible she had and started reading it and said that she wanted to experience the love of Jesus that I told her about. And uh, she, that, so that morning before she got together with me, she broke up with her, gosh, I don't even remember what gender she was in. She, I think she was in a relationship with a woman, uh, with a woman, broke up with, in that relationship. Actually, this was on a Wednesday morning, canceled the sex change surgery for Friday morning uh, she was going to start the transition of becoming a man, and the first part was to take out kind of some of the female stuff, and she canceled that, and now she's accepted her identity as a woman. She's walking with God. This is four years later, and part of that story is always a reminder for me that I seen the Lord melt her heart. This was the Lord at work, and this was completely Christ interceding in her life and changing her life. And now she's embraced her identity as Jessica, and she's feminine and has, celebrates the way that God made her as a woman. And so all that to say that I, I know that when it comes to transgenderism, uh, um, 
God melts people's hearts, and God brings people to him, and God helps people accept the way that he made them. And I have no doubt for every transgender person that, that God, can, God can do that. But we need to love them, have compassion. And the part that I relate to in that is that I know what it's like to have feelings that you don't want, that aren't normal, that you feel like you have no control over. And it feels like this is just who I am. So I can relate to that, and I have compassion over that, that they have these feelings that feel like this is the way who I, who I am. And uh, how that always plays out in their life, I don't know. But I know that God is still in the business of redeeming, restoring, and transforming people and uh, for uh, gay and lesbian people and the transgender people too. Um, I think I've spoken directly to you or summed up most questions. Let me just, uh, yeah, feel free to raise your hand. How do you see effects on children in our culture, especially as our culture is embracing um, calling right wrong and wrong right? And, yeah. And even even teachers working in a classroom where where um, they're almost they're I don't know required is the right word, but uh, teaching right wrong and wrong right and how do you, how do you see that affecting the children, especially in our culture? Yeah, definitely. I I think that. Um, uh, Obviously, kids are getting such a twisted view of what um, relationships and marriage are supposed to be. Uh, and that's where, and, but like I said in my talk, that, that wasn't just the homosexuals doing that. We've been twisting marriage for decades in, in this culture. And so, you know, our, so many of our kids before same-sex marriage were already growing up in broken homes with divorces and remarriages and and. Families that don't look like God intended families to look like. And sometimes that just comes from tragedy and circumstances beyond our control. Uh, but this is just, I think, the, a reflection of how our culture has twisted sexuality. You know, when we look at Romans 1, um, and it talks about how they worship created things, and so the creator, and they trade God's truth for a lie, and even their women change, exchange natural relations for men and have relations with each other. I don't believe that those specific women were any more sinners than the rest of them, but that's really the capstone on a culture that has completely twisted sexuality and twisted uh, marriage and family, and it has so much brokenness that we make people into objects uh, to serve us and to fulfill something inside of us. And as I sit down with, you know, uh, one, one guy who really invests my life, who does a lot of counseling, um, he's a director of the seminary I went to. Uh, as he has walked me through a lot of this, he says, no worry, the same idolatry I see in your life uh, with, with same-sex attraction is the same idolatry I see in heterosexual men's lives. It's just the object is different. And so, um, and I, I've kind of already covered that, but... Uh, I, I see I, we're having to raise our kids in a culture where marriage and family is completely twisted. And, the, and that, that's difficult, but the good news is that we can raise our kids to love the Lord and have a good biblical view no matter what culture we live in. We don't need a, uh, um, you know, we want a culture that loves the Lord and honors God, and I think that God honors that. But what our culture is doing does not um, have to dictate how we raise our own kids and the values that we teach them. And so I think it becomes more difficult. Um, but, you know, 
and maybe in some ways, uh, um, I, I think that some of these cultural shifts are really uh, sorting out who really were just cultural Christians versus who actually knows the Lord. As we face maybe more persecution and repercussions and a more hostile culture to our values, I think that there's so many people who identified as Christians because that was the popular, easy thing to do that had all these benefits to it, and now there's no longer those benefits, so they no longer identify as Christians, but they never were Christians to begin with. And so now we, it's up to us to raise our kids in a way that honors the Lord, and we teach them biblical values no matter what our culture um, state is in, and that's up to every parent no matter what culture we live in. And I can't say that our culture is going to get any better. It might get way, way worse. Uh, but that's opportunities to show the world that we live different that, and show our kids that our values are not the same values that our culture lives by, but they're different, and this is why, because God's grace is sufficient for that. And I'm not a parent, so I don't know what that looks like specifically, but uh, our hope is not found in a culture that uh, behaves well. Our hope is found in teaching every one of our kids to love and honor Christ and to live by his word and to show them that we do family and relationships and marriage different than our culture and that, that marriage about dying to ourselves, not what will make you happy. Um, and that, that's really something we should have been engaging with the last 50 years, not just when it came about to, uh, to, to same-sex marriage and homosexuality. Because this is just a capstone, I feel like, of a culture that's already idolized people and made people sexual objects. It's just that now, for some people, those objects are different. I think I've pretty much answered most questions in my text. If I didn't get to yours, uh, um, uh, then feel free to text me and say, hey, could you expound on this, or I'd like this to be answered. So feel free to text me anytime, and I'd love to try to answer anything else that you would have. Thank you so much. Cool. Yep, thank you.